Welcome back to CodingCat.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Here is Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode brought to you by Storyblock. Build anything and publish everywhere. Hello, perfect peeps. Welcome back. Um, today, you might notice Brittany is out, so she's taking a little little vacation, a little time away, um, and you just are stuck with me. So sorry about that, peeps. Um, we do have Oren on. We're going to talk all about RavenDB today. So welcome, Oren. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Um, so basically, before we get like too far into the product, I want to hear more about your background and kind of how you ended up kind of starting this amazing product. Um. My day job is building RevenDB, which is, as you can guess from the name, a database product. And I got here by accident, basically. Um, it's always a fun uh, accident. Yeah, it's uh, about 20 years ago, I was looking for an open source project to do. And I started using a project called Enhibernate, which is an object relational mapper that helps you work with relational databases. And I got pretty deep into the project. I was uh, heavily involved, or uh, became a committer for a while. And something really interesting happened. I started getting some consulting jobs around that. And eventually it morphed into being that guy that comes and saves the application. Um, uh, my application is slow. We cannot, the database can't handle the load. How do we fix that? And I got used to coming to people and fixing horrible database mistakes. <laughs> and um, take into account that the thing that I kept doing was exactly the same. At one point, I, 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 I sent a report for customer A to customer B. And I didn't catch that. When did I catch that? When they t when they told me that, uh, oh, you're very insightful in your blah 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 blah, and but we don't understand where you found the uh, uh, policies uh, table or something because the report I sent them was from a customer who did with insurance and they were a current copy or something like that. Like I said to the whole team, that's not insightful. That's um, Really bad. Uh, it was a war document, nothing really that interesting. Though. But uh, it turns out that the, the report that I gave was so hitting so many common common pain points that it was usable across very different applications, very different industries. And what ended up happening was that I got really, really tired of that. It was like like. Oh dear God! Another person who thought that the database should be handling ten thousand queries to render a single page. By the way, the, the biggest number that I've ever seen was seventeen thousand queries to render one page. That's oh, wow. one seven thousand, and it's <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and most of the time, it's not because you have a really complicated system or you have some crazy needs. It's because the data model is wrong or whatever. And eventually I started literally dreaming at night about finding a way to fix that. Now, my problem was that I was working with pretty smart people and they were 
passionate and interested and they were doing the right thing, but they kept falling into these huge pitfalls. Now, we're talking about 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you didn't really have the concept of pure front end. Uh, you didn't have, you had people who will, okay, I know more HTML than SQL, but yeah. that's about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, today we have people who whose whole job is HTML, CSS, and responsive design, and uh, that fills up full-time employment. And uh, you have people who have no idea how to center a div, uh, me among one of them. Uh, so, uh, thank, thank you for uh, grid and flexbox. Yeah, just uh, yeah, you you you're using terms I'm not familiar with. <laughs> uh, but the uh, the problem thing was okay. Think about what it's like for someone who is a full stack developer, and they have so many uh, uh, balls to keep in the air. You have to juggle so many things. Oh, I have to make sure that this works on Safari on iOS because on mobile. And I also have to make sure that Android devices from five years ago are still operational and what the hell is going on there. And alongside with everything that, that I still have to do, I also have to make sure that the backend works and it can scale and all of those sort of things. And no one can do that. And... My, my, what I wanted to do is at least let's fix the database area. Let's have something that wouldn't require so much attention. And it got so bad that I started waking up at night and having diagram and a, a, a components of code running in my head, like uh, the scene for Minority Report where you start moving things. I had that in my head about how it, how it should work. And what ended up happening was that at some point I said, okay, I'm sick of that. I would spend a weekend to pour it all out, write all of the code, and then I will figure out how it's going. And then, you know, I would be, it would be out. Turns out that it wasn't out, and I spent about 20 hours days for several months working on that. And at some point, I says, okay, I cannot sustain that. So either I have to quit doing that, and it wouldn't let me, or I have to try to uh, make that into something that I said so I can make a living out of that. And that was, dear God, 13, 14 years ago, almost 15 years now. And Revenue has been a product for uh, the past 12 or 13 years, uh, been in production, deployed. And the two things that... Um, it does more than anything else is it is meant to allow you to build business applications easily and transparently. And more importantly, it aims to make it so you write the code, you generate your queries, and then Revenue B is going to figure everything else out for you. You don't need to spend the uh, six weeks before release trying to figure out how the, to modify a schema because someone needed another column or a, a rerun a, a whole suite of performance tests to figure out what indexes you need when the system have more than 10 users at a time. Um, so that's the, that's the background. That's how I got to where we are today. Oh, that's that's crazy. And so... Your primary background, when you, when you say you don't know how to center a div, it's mostly in the backend languages, right? Yeah, so uh, I mostly write in C Sharp and other uh, backend systems. Uh, my 
private background was a, what you would call today a backend developer. Data from it was you build a, a web application, so you do the HTML and the C sharp or whatever, and and the database scheme and everything in one go. Uh, but absolutely, uh, f- uh, for the past twelve years, basically, I've been working on database engines more than eighteen months. Cool. Oh, it's really amazing. That's it's a it's a good story to always hear. Like kind of why something like this started. And I feel like every time I've, I've talked with like a founder or a CEO or whomever uh, might be starting a project, um, they are always, it, it's always from a need of some kind that they had this idea and then they like kept building on it. And uh, some of them just kind of are a flash in the pan and they have to go away or it's like an OSS project and they just can't maintain it outside of like having a regular job and family and everything else. And so it's amazing when you hear a story like yours that you're able to continue with that and build it into a full-blown business and keep things going. I I have to tell you, I sat down with myself and I had a napkin and I wrote down a business plan. And the business plan was uh, not in case I would succeed because that was uh, not possible. Uh, My business plan was, okay, this is how much I'm willing to uh, chase this goose. At this point, which was just before I would lose lose this shirt and house and everything that I have, <laughs> yep. then uh, uh, this is when I pull pulling the plug. I try, I fail, we, we move on. And the surprising thing about it is that I kept not hitting those milestones, uh, and uh, that's that, that's basically how it rolled. It started and then it picked up and suddenly we needed more people to handle the load of uh, requests and users and customers actually came and that was uh, really gratifying and completely by accident. That's amazing. That's really cool. I love it. I, I love happy accidents. Let's, let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so what we are going to not do now is jump into an advertisement for our sponsorship, but then when we come back, we're going to check out RavenDB and see what it's all about, right? Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll be right back. How in the world could I forget about this? There's no need to freak out. We have Storyblock. Robert, you're right. But we still need a plan. Okay, how much time do we have left until the launch? 24 hours. Okay, let's go. We are ready to publish. So let's get this baby online. Thank you once again, Storyblock, for sponsoring us. Really appreciate it. Um, okay, Oren, you kind of told us our, your background, your history. Let's dive into RavenDB. I believe I, I kind of threw this at you last minute, but you have an example that we can walk through, right? Uh, so I have a what? Uh, an example for us to check out RavenDB, a little demo. Yeah, so let me share my screen. And you should be seeing it now. Awesome. And what you see in here is RevenDB on the cloud, and you can run RevenDB either as a Docker, Kubernetes, whatever, on your own systems, or you can run it as software as a service. 
What I wanted to show right now is we're going to actually go into this instance. And let's start by talking about what RevenDB actually is. RevenDB is a document database. And what this means is that this is a database that allows you to store JSON documents. And one of the things that I realized when we're building business applications, a relational database makes very little sense because it forces you to break down your data model into individual rows and columns. But modern applications have so much data that even a shopping cart would be 15 or 20 tables. And now I want to render that shopping cart. It is incredibly complicated to stitch together the data from all of these display tables. So the whole idea is that I want to have a database that works as my application does. So if you go into RevenDB, this is the uh, management studio. You just goes in and start working. I don't know if you noticed, but I was actually using certificate authentication, so everything is secure and encrypted and stuff like that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to define a database, and we're going to set a replication factor of three. I'm skipping that factor for now. And we have a database, and I can put some documents here. It's more interesting if I work with actual demo, with actual data. So I'm going to create some sample data. And the basic idea now is that now we have collections. And if you're using something uh, other databases, a collection is very similar to a table or collection be or something like that. And here is an example of some data. And we go in and now you can see that a document is just a JSON document. And that's, that's the whole magic basically. Because now I'm able to work with data, with the data in the same way that I'm working that in the front-end. Because practically speaking, modern application talk between front-end and back-end using JSON, a, a, a JSON RPC of some kind, gRPC, whatever. So you're sending JSON documents around. And you want to have that same model all the way to the back-end. But where is it starting to get problematic? When you actually start needing to, okay, here is a slightly complex object. Here I can see that I have an array. Here is another array, those sorts of things. If I was trying to model that using a relational database, then, oh, this would sit on many different tables. Let's look at slightly more complicated systems. By the way, the data model that we have here is basically the your standard online shop. And you can see here is line items. And here is, again, more complicated objects. So, so far what I'm showing you is syntax highlighting for JSON. It's really not that, that impressive. It's getting impressive when you start to realize that now you have something that is actionable. So let's go here and ask for employees. And I'm getting some results back. Oh, nice. Yeah, so a few things that are important. First of all, I don't believe that there's anyone who is even have slightly familiarity with uh, programming who is unable to exactly understand what's going on here. If you compare that to uh, uh, the way MongoDB does things, which you basically build a really complicated JSON expression, this is clear and obvious. For that matter, I'm going to ask a more interesting question. 
and I'm going to do some goodbyes. And what's your problem? Oh, yes, because uh, this should be on the well. Yes. So here are the number of employees that they have in London. Yes. And I don't actually need to really think about it, especially if you have any background in databases at all. And that's really important because one of the uh, key issues that you're facing, especially if you're not you know, spending 20 years building backend systems, is that you need to deliver an application. And the database is one component out of that, and you want it to be a, a transparent. You want it to be something that you just use and it does the right thing. Uh, you mentioned a, a Flexbox and another thing to center a div earlier. Uh, a large part of that, if you have a, a, to do things manually, it takes so much time. And if you have the right tooling, then everything works, and suddenly your uh, velocity of delivering feature is so much higher. So we have this, and it makes things easier. But before I go, before I uh, dig in deeper, I want to go here and look at employees. And here is uh, Michael. And Michael is interesting because this is a JSON documents, but I don't deal just with JSON documents. In application, I have to deal with so much other uh, details. So for example, I may have an employee photo, and this is an attachment on a document, just like you have an attachment on email. So the model makes sense. And if you're building a, a list management system, you can store here the photos of the two in the list and the signature and all sorts of stuff like that. If you're building an IoT system, RevenDB has the cap capability to store time series where you track a data modification over time. <coughs> And now we can run queries and aggregation over those sort of things. Now, what I'm showing you right now, this is the user interface. This is how developers work with the system when they are developing that. This is an example of how you work with the system from code. So RavenDB is a backend database. You would typically use it from your backend systems, and you write something like this. So I create a, an object, store some details, call store, and eventually I'm committing all of those changes to the database. If I want to make a query, let's do an interesting query. So you can see how it looks like. And I'm using, we have clients for pretty much everywhere that you want, but this is a simple demo. So give me all of the employees where the first time is on. And it's clear and it's obvious and you don't need to really think about it. Now, but let's talk about this query for a second. What's the problem with something like this? I'm going to run this query. Employees will first name equal on. And I get the result. And that's nice. It happened quickly. Uh, what happened if, uh, but how many employees do I have? I have nine. That's nothing. What happened, and as the size of the data grows, what would happen? The system would start to slow down. Now, as a developer, when building the system, I don't, I'm not going to see that. I'm working on powerful machines, I'm working on a small data set, and there is one user. So there is here, there is a pitfall that is going to tell you, hey, there is a problem. 
but let's look at what actually happens uh, when Revit B does that. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to delete all of the indexes, all of the indexes in the system, and rerun this query. And we can see that we get the result. What you will also see is that there is an index here for you. And as you can infer from the name, this is an automatically created index. So what happens here in, this is the best example I have to show a pattern of ownership of decisions. So what I'm going to do at each and every point in time, I'm going to make it so you don't have to make a decision. Revit B is going to make it happen for you. So we send a query to the database. There is no index for that. So we have to start doing a full scan of the results. If I'm already going to scan off the result, I might as well create an index for that. Your next query is going to be a lot faster. Now, let's so make another you don't You don't have to manually create that at all. It's, it's dynamically generated. Correct. Wow. Now, okay. I'm making another query. And again, this is the first time Revenue saw this query. I have two indexes, by first name and first name and last name. Now, in a few seconds, something really interesting is going to happen. And that something is that Revenue is going to say, hey, you know what? I don't need that index. That all index just by the first name, anything that it can do, this index can do as well. So I can remove that. So now what happens is that you have the ability to automatically and transparently get the right set of indexes based on your actual load. One of the things that is really frightening for many people is that, okay, I'm making changes to my application. Did I change the way the query behaved? Now I'm going to suffer a, a slowdown in how the system behaves, and that is an insane amount of time to sit and ponder and fix, and then you have to do all sorts of really crazy uh, uh, trade-offs. Do I want to make write faster? Do I want to make reads faster? And Revenue just takes all of that away because we are making that simple and easy. For that matter, let's look at this employee. And you can see that uh, Anne is fluent in French. I want to do a search on this. I want to see who else is familiar with French. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Revenue to do that. And it gives me a list of users. And if we're going to look at Michael, I'm going to assume that this is correct, but you know, there's a whole bunch. Okay, here is French. There's a whole bunch of details here. And again, what just happened? What just happened that did something that seems really obvious? But if you do something like that in a traditional database, in Mongo, Firebase, uh, uh, SQL Server, MySQL, stuff like that, this is now either you're going to do a full own scan of the data, or you have to do, you have to define for the search indexes, you have to define a whole bunch of, uh, of details. Or what you would typically do is, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to integrate Elasticsearch into this in order to get good search results, which is utterly insane. I, I wanted to have a box that says search, 
and uh, and uh, my users want me my competition for this is google because they do search very well and this is what everyone thinks that they have to do but i don't have the google budget for that <laughs> yeah so here, here's an example okay i found something with french but this is i can't show this to the user but i can ask nicely hey tell me how this works And now revenue will actually go ahead and tell me. Here, uh, and now you can do the pop-up with the yellow lights on everything or, or all of the using that you want to manage them. So instead of me having to manually figure those, those sort of things out, it just happens. And we can go here, but I notice that now we have an index, a new index, by force and blackening, and we now allow full text searching on the notes field we do highlighting on that everything is done for you now let's see slightly different uh, uh, semantics what i'm going to do now i'm going to look at orders and now you can see okay here's orders and i see that it is changing over time so let's add a new item uh, and wrote it. I made a modification to the data. And now I can see here, uh, not this one, hopefully this one, yes. So now you can see here something really interesting. Uh, I defined orders to have revisions. So now I can go back in time and see how it happens. That's cool. So now I have. So now I have audit trail. Now I have the ability to, you know, diff my data if necessary, stuff like that. Uh, here's another thing that uh, is really cool. I want now to be able to search for all of the orders where that has product 11. And that looks kind of hard because now I have to do some nested query or something like that. So I'm going to do this. Uh, help if I... It goes ahead and find it for me. Now, and again, now I have the right index, and the index is important because as the size of the data grows, I want the uh, latency for the, the latency of my queries to remain uh, consistent. So we can see here that this takes about zero millisecond to one. But again, we have almost no data. 830 uh, uh, orders. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to run an update operation and I'm going to increase the number of documents that I have for orders by a factor of 100. So this basically says is for each one of the orders, I want you to execute this JavaScript code. And I want you to, this is the document ID and slash mean, slash in the end means that figure it out and copy this document. And you can see how it looks here. So now we have a whole bunch of these here. And in a few seconds, we increase the size of the data by 100. And you know what, I still don't like it. I don't think this is enough. So let's make more of that. And while this is running, let's inspect how the system behaves. 
you can see, okay, let's throw some, uh, hundreds, uh, thousands, thousands of uh, rights per second into the system and see how it works. It works quite nice, if, even if I say so myself. Uh, and now that we are talking about a system that has 200,000 items, let's go ahead and rerun the query. You can see that, okay, now it's like 20 milliseconds, but it takes 20 milliseconds while I'm still doing a whole bunch of queries. So that's not a nice place to be in. Let's run it again. By the way, the latency here is because I'm in Israel and this server is in Frankfurt. So it's some network latency between us. True. This number is what you're actually seeing on the time that it takes to process the query on the server side. Again, the more, and by the way, this is another, I don't know if you noticed, but you can see that even the, even though the number of results that we have keeps growing, and even though the size of the data that we have is now going to exceed the half a million in, in a few seconds, the key issue here is that we are still able to get the results in a consistent time frame. And the more that I query, the faster things are going to become. In a similar fashion to how RevenueBee create an index for you on the fly, RevenueBee is also going to notice what areas in the system you're going to operate on, and it's going to optimize that in slightly more complex way. Keep it in memory, uh, uh, generate more things uh, as we go, etc. Now, let's break this. And now we have just under 700,000, uh, uh, 700, just under 700,000 documents. Queries keeps going, keeps being really, really fast. And this is important. I don't need to worry about it. Revenue would fix it for me. But for that matter, let's talk about something else. Now I'm going to issue a query that's going to ask me to summarize things by companies. So already saw a little bit of queries by uh, using a group by. Now I'm going to do that on a large set of data. So number of orders per company. Now we have 700,000 uh, documents. And it's going to take a little while to run this. And while this is running, we can monitor and see what's happening. By the way, oh, it's, it's done. Okay, so here are some of the results. It is still, by the way, processing that. So a key aspect, and it's done, uh, a key aspect of the way that RevenueB manage things is that we want to keep your system up and running. Instead of getting you stuck with, oh, here is a query that's going to take two hours, we will give you the results as soon as possible. For that matter, let's rerun this query, and that's weird because previously it took me 15 seconds to run this query, but now it took me too many seconds. Oh, it's probably cached. Let's do something else. A count is on desk. So give me, and that's fast. How does this work? Because now I'm doing aggregation of 700,000 documents and the reply is, in, is instantaneous. What happens is that like all things, RevenueDB actually generates an index for that. So as a general rule of thumb, RevenueDB doesn't take a lot of time to query because the query, the course has been shifted to the indexing stage. 
And so by the time that you query, you already pay that cost. In almost all systems, the rate of writes to reads is ridiculous. You're reading thousand times more than a thousand times for every, every write that you have. So what RevenBR actually did, it went ahead and computed disaggregation based on the company name and gave me the result. And now it is able to give me the results instantly. But what happened if what I wanted to do was something that is more complex? For example, right now I can see that we have this tea time chocolate biscuits and a lager. And they were purchased together. And what I want to see, I want to see for each company which products they were bought and how, much, and how many I, I purchased per company. So this is somewhat complicated to express. So what I want to see is for company 67, I want to show that they purchased uh, 15 of tea time and 12 flagger, but not for this particular order, across all orders that we have. Try to imagine how you can express something like that as a query, and you realize that this is really awkward. So the way that RevenDB does that is to allow you a product sales by company. To allow you to do that using an index that you define in your own. Ah, okay. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to define the following. So would, would there be a way to build this like call in JavaScript and it auto do this? Or is this just like so complex it doesn't make sense? Uh, let's see if I have this. I just I'm really stuck on the fact like every other thing I use, like Firestore or anything, mm -hmm. I have to like create all of these indexes. I'm kind of blown away by this. Go ahead, go ahead and do this. And you can see here think about what what we have here. Here you have a TypeScript system where you define using strongly type the definition of your system. Gotcha. Yep. And notice that we are doing some some relatively simple computation here. And then we are able to query over that. And we can do, the, here is a more complicated example. Well, in this case, it's not really that interesting. This is a counterfeit query. I could do that as a simple query as we saw previously. But the idea here is that what I'm writing here, you can write in your code. And the reason this matters is that think about what it means in terms of how you do data migration. How do you, hey, I, I need to go back to the version of the database that I had a, a, in the production branch to test something out. You can switch to that branch, run it, and it uses this. So the whole idea is that you define all of those elements inside your code in the same version control. Migration is a breeze because of that, and all of those sort of things. And I want to show you the uh, idea here. So what I'm saying is company or dot company. And what I want to do now, I want to say uh, products. And map uh, quantity l dot quantity and 
product and a product. And if you think about what we actually do here, let's go and look up a, so what I'm saying is I want to get this field and this field from the lines. So the output of this is going to be basically This would be more or less the output of the map. And now what I'm going to do, and by the way, I never bother to remember how to do those sorts of things, so we have cheat sheets all across the board. I'm going to do this. Goodbye, company. And here we have... I like that. So what we have here, we have products. And the nice thing about this is that now I have to take a list of those and a, a list of lists of those and generate them together. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to say, okay, we have, and I can remember the syntax. So we have the accumulator and the current value, and the current value is a, an array of those. And I want to group them together based on, uh, based on the items. And I cannot remember how to do that in JavaScript off the top of my head. Uh, I'm going to write it instead using C-sharp. Excuse me for uh, doing that. Uh, I did spend 20 years working on C-sharp, so I'm more familiar with this. Uh, so, o.company, uh, product equal o.lines, it should be very similar, but I can't remember the other syntax. Uh, product, it's not wanted. Yeah, it would help if I could spell. Okay. Now here, from our in results, Output company G. Now what I have is company is what we are grouping by, and products is select many. Now uh, flat map that was that was uh, that was what I was missing previously. No man. X dot product P dot key and some so lots of magic incantations and what's the problem? I have company, let's see. Yes, because I have a typo. So why should I allow it to have a typo? Yes, because I'm using the wrong thing. Thank you. Now it's working. And now what we have, it's going to start doing that. 
couple of things about this. If you're familiar with databases, then one of the things that happen when you start indexing things is that the system basically hangs because it locks the table and stuff like that. In this case, I can go here and let's update the table and say this is now 135 and it works while this is running. And I'm able to query that while the system is still working. And I'll get to see something really interesting. So here's the result. And apparently for company 32, and you know what? It's nice that they have these results. It's not really that interesting because what the hell is this? So let's do this. Hmm. This, is, this is really cool. I mean, just having messed around with Superbase, um, they, they do a lot of the same, but it's Postgres underneath. So you you actually have a complete like um, self-created database on top of all this. Correct. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to say, hey, I'm following the association. So now I have name as load p.product and quantity p.quantity. And this here. Uh, yeah, sorry. And now this just happens. So RevitB is a non-relational database, but you're able to do those sort of things directly natively. You're also able to run a, any sort of code that you want. For example, I could do lowercase, bring stuff from other places, traverse the entire graph and all sorts of things directly and transparently. And that means that for many reasons, you no longer have to struggle with the modeling. Because think about it, I have a yeah. document model and I can flow out from that without having to pay the cost of doing joins or quotation products or something like that. There's also another really cool feature that I like. Let's look at something like this. Um, for models where a shift to city is London. And it's going to run a while, it's going to index, and then it's going to give me some results. Uh, the key thing about it, I want to show it to you. I want to show the uh, orders for London as a user, to the user. And when I need to do that, I'm going to see all of those, and I have no idea what this means. So I'm going to be able to do something like this. Let's uh, say freight, But now I want to do auto implement. And e.name. Again, I have it in this map. But before I do that, now I need to also, I want to render that, I want to apply some logic on all of those companies. Now here's what you would typically do. You would run, oh, let's do a, a query to get these results. And then start loading any one of those one by one. And 
what's going to happen is that this is going to say, okay, database query, database query, database query, database query, database query, database query, etc. Sometimes like, oh, this and this are the same. This employee one, I can skip that. But you still have tremendous number of database queries. And because the database is fast, you're paying most of the cost in latency. In the front end, you're used to being aware of that because you know you, you know that you have to pack your uh, resources to avoid additional remote calls. It's the same thing for me back into the database. It's also a remote call. So you can do this. And notice what happened. We made one request to the database. And here, all of the companies that belong to the same, uh, to the results in the query, setting for the employees. And the nice thing about this is that this is a single, a, a single query that you have to run. That's it. In terms of the uh, API, uh, we have uh, something about you here. Here we go. So you can see that I'm saying, hey, I want you to include this related product. And here you can see that I'm loading uh, inside nested for loop. But this is going to be really cheap because I already have that in the session. So zero remote calls on ROM. Now, here's another factor. I'm actually running in a distributed system. We just haven't seen that before. I have to authenticate. So now we reload and here's what happens. What happens if one of my server goes down? I'm going to go here and do something nasty. I'm going to force the restart of a node. And while this is happening, let's go and add some data. So let's see what's, what's happening now. We have a partial failure mode. And go away. Now we are node B. And you can see that partial failure mode or not, I'm still operate, operational. I keep accepting writes, I can do queries, everything keeps, keeps on working. And the whole idea here is well, by the way, now it's up and back again, everyone is happy. But the whole idea with this is that I'm writing my code and I had a failure. This piece of code is going to handle that. I don't need to put a try catch here because this right. is handled internally. We're going to do the failover and all of those sort of things for it. We are also able to do more interesting things. For example, uh, let's kill this. Let's look at this. What is it saying right here? I'm putting quite a bit of load on the system because I'm writing hundreds of thousands of documents. And it told me that I had a slow write to disk. Well, obviously I did. I chose a standard uh, storage type. And I hammered that, so I started to get in slow results. But you know what the fun part of that was? Oh, no, that's a different one. Uh, when I had a problem, and we didn't notice that, and we probably wouldn't notice that, but RevenueBee is being proactive about those sort of queries. 
for that matter, let's go here and I'm going to issue an expensive query. So this is a query that gives me seven, 19, 20,000 uh, results. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to move the page size. This is going to run, this is going to download. And it's already finished this query, probably, because it's just now just need to stream that. But in a few seconds, I'm going to be able to see, uh, it is a tell me that's a problem. In a few seconds, it's going to tell me that, hey, I had a query that took a lot of time to process. And uh, if I have a slow IO, it's going to tell me about that. So the whole thing is really designed to the point where I don't need to, I actually have, I'm now actually worried that it would try to pause all of that because I have a JSON view, I would skip that. Uh, so the whole thing is about making it, so as a user, as a developer that is using RevenV, I don't need to think about how this works or why it is working. Yeah, that's great. Because the database is managing that for me. Now there is, a ton of additional features that you have, uh, including a whole bunch of ways to push data from one location to the next, working with distributed system and other stuff like that. I want to touch on one last thing, and that thing is when we are talking about uh, building complex applications. And one of the things that uh, uh, we have to deal with a lot is how do you handle background tasks? So whenever there is a new order in the system, I need to run some processes on that. So I'm going to write the following code. And here, all of the employees in London. And this is, I've shown you how this works before. But now something really interesting happens. And I have this guy, a subscription. And this is the way for you to subscribe to a query. So RevenDB is going to send you the results of this query. You're going to process that in batches. And when you're done, you're not going to, to close the system. No, you're going to keep on listening. And whenever there is a new document, whenever there is a, a something that matches a query, RevenDB is going to call you about that. And then you can process that which opens up a whole new world of possibilities in how you're managing this. And last thing that I love to do, because I love abusing the system, look here. We, here we have a cluster of three nodes, and they are tasks. And I'm currently subscribed to this task, and I'm starting to process that. And now I'm going to abuse the system again, and let's restart node B. In a few seconds, we're going to see that the cluster is going to detect that the node is down. It is down now. And notice what happened. We redistributed the uh, ownership of tasks in the cluster. My code that is processing against this is just going to keep on running and just going to uh, uh, not notice something happened. I may have one or two requests that would have slightly higher latency when we discover and operate on that, but that's about it. And behind the scenes, when this node comes back up, we're going to fill it up with everything that it missed, and then reassign off those tasks for you. And those are the sort of features that you see in other locations as well. 
and you can see that the entire process took under a minute. But the whole idea here is that the the point of revenue in this, in this scenario is that I don't need to think about it. Everything is being managed for me. If you want to go deeper, there is a whole wealth of information that you can uh, uh, dig into and see when everything that you wanted is more beside. But the whole idea is that I don't need to. Yep. And one of the things, one of the things that happen is that uh, we get users who come to say, "Hey, we forgot that it is running for seven years." I have a customer tell, "Hey, I did not notice that we, I did not know that we had it in our architectural uh, in the architectural diagrams because we did multiple handoffs over the years, seven years, and it never came up because it never was a problem." And that's, that's, that's yeah, that's yeah, really and, good. <laughs> yeah. And and going back to the, uh, the my initial discussion, why we beat revenue? I think that for the most part, we did a really good job achieving to the maximum extent possible that you can actually get to this. You build an application and you use a database because you have to store that somewhere, but you don't actually have to worry about or think about it. Yeah. It just works. That's, that's awesome. And thank you so much for the demo. Uh, I do want to share just really quickly the main screen here. So I just want to show off, uh, it's ravendb.net. That's probably where you can find all of the information that you might need. The cool part, once you're out here, um, you can check out the different products that are set up too. So they do have their downloads. So your downloads are out here that you can run it out of. I love that there's like a Docker instance since I'm used to running app right out of Docker these days as well, um, as well as the the cloud hosted solution. So I, I would imagine zero downtime on the cloud hosting. Is that how that works? Correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. And if you, uh, by the way, what when I was running, I when I was doing it, I explicitly introduced errors into the system. Yeah. Yeah. And think about it. I, the reason we do that is literally so I can demo to you how here's the system running. I'm going to do scenario and something happens. And a couple of things here. We have a free tier, so you can start using us completely and uh, uh, free with no commitment. And there is also, if you go to revenue.net in the uh, product sections, there is a playground studio. Oh, yes. I did see that. Let me go back yeah. there. Um, yeah. So it's the second thing, and if you click here, this takes you to a live, a, a public instance. That's crazy. That just, That's yeah. really neat. Yeah. I love so it. To just point the browser to that. There is nothing that you need to do. Not even nothing. It just works, and you can Very start cool. playing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Thank you for showing it off. We're going to kind of switch gears and hopefully I gave you enough time. I'll give you a few more minutes to thank you, Orin, but um, we're going to jump into our perfect picks. Um, without Brittany here, I only have one pick that I've, I have right now. Um, so let me switch views just real quick. It's a little hard to see. This is called Mesher and I'm like constantly playing around with like background, uh, like linear and like, all of the different ways you can represent this. So if you go through random, you can set all of these different colors that you want, uh, all using HSLA. Um, you can you can kind of flip these to wherever you would like them. 
And at the end of it, you can actually click export and grab it out for your CSS. So I really, really enjoy this. It's on cssshero.org slash mesher. So check that out for sure. Oren, did you come up with a, a perfect pick? I did, but uh, it's going to be as far away from the uh, typical solar that I think you have as possible. So you were talking about generating uh, CSS and beautiful things. I'm going to take you all the way down to bits and bytes. There is a new programming language. It's like five years, so it's still very new programming yeah. language. It's called Zig. It is an unmanaged uh, uh, language and its purpose is to replace the C language. So it's aimed to be a better C. And, and when I'm looking into that and I looking into building the high performance system, high reliability, those sort of things, this is a language that is a pleasure to use. And for the most part, it gets things right. Wow, that's uh, Especially the you can see here the comp time absolutely blew my mind when I saw how it works. It's a really fun thing to play with and work with. So someone that might be familiar with like C or C could jump into this or maybe yes. Python by the looks of it. Any I, I, my my expectation is that if you have uh, even a few years uh, like a year or two of programming in any language, you should be able to pick it up very quickly. There are some very advanced features but the core language is very simple and obvious and it has a very rich system wow. uh I'm, yeah i'm actually thinking that the uh, this is sitting on top of a, a, a nlvm and the compile infrastructure so it produces production quality code and you can debug that using VS Code and syntax highlighting, language server, intelligence, the, the, the whole thing. It's really amazing to see how it works. Yeah, that's incredible. Good pick. I'll, uh, I'll add it to our list. Awesome. Well, Oren, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and breaking down RavenDB. Uh, incredible story, kind of getting it started and, and where you're at today. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, I meant to ask you, like, do you, is there VC funding? Like, what does the actual organization look like? The whole point of uh, RevenDB was that I wanted to build something that solved the problem. And one of the things, one of the things that I don't like is if you take outside funding, you also take outside interests. Hmm. And I'm, I have a the desire to build the perfect product. And I, we spent so much time getting the details right. And all of the, all of the revenue B is bootstrapped. And one, and that means that the core principles of deliver a really good product on time and making sure that uh, at a reasonable time frame, you Shut on the computer and you go home and you can get rest. Uh, I had just at one point I had to tell one of my uh, developers if you keep on staying in the office any longer, I'm going to charge you rent. And yeah, uh, so the ability to deliver all of that and you no, know, not have to worry about okay, what am I going to say to the board about my next meeting? Um, so Bootstrap made it possible and give it give us the ability to do things in a 
much more bus fashion, I think. <laughs>